for October 13th, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 328, Gossip Groot. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt Rather. I'm back from the Buffalo Wild Wings in the Sky. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was, I was raptured, uh, and you were left behind to do the podcast. And what, uh, what happened, Matt? Were you sent back due to a clerical error? Yeah, No, I saw a light. I saw a white light at the end of the Buffalo Wild Wings, and I decided my time had not yet come. And so I turned around, uh, leaving all the Wild Wings on the table. Uh, I decided that I was neither particularly wild nor ready ready for the wings uh, because they were breaded and fried, and I'm on the paleo diet. So the uh, <laughs> so I'm back. I'm back in this fallen world uh, with all of us to battle it out in a uh, in an in a in an anti podcast, right? Because the, the after in a carbohydrate filled dystopia. <laughs> Um, But you know what? You only can show virtue on the paleo diet in a carbohydrate-filled dystopia, right? Because if there were no uh, terrible grains to eat, um, you could not be virtuous by refraining from eating uh, all the grains. So uh, so I'm back, and we are here uh, to talk about New York Comic Con. And uh, Mark and Shana are with us uh, and are here to talk about uh, New York Comic Con. And Fenzel and I are here to serve as interlocutors, uh, and I'm excited. I want to, I want to uh, talk about cons uh, and, and getting together, IRL, and the, the nerd imperative to congregate at these, uh, these events from time to time. So let's... Uh, interlock interlocutor yes interloc what is the what is the verb here <laughs> uh interlocute sure interlocutus <laughs> I, am, I am interlocutus of borg uh and so uh panel your question tonight to kick us off uh has nothing to do with comic-con it's in honor of gone girl uh which released in theaters this week what is your favorite use of alliteration in in movie titles or in anything really just just talk about alliteration a little bit what's your favorite alliteration um uh to to kick us off first in the alphabet drink because it's peter fenzel Oh, thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. Welcome back to the land of the of the darned, as it were. <laughs> us us, us uh, humans are all as socks worn thin by our own sins. No, it's true. Some natural some natural tears I dropped, but wiped them soon. The world was all before <laughs> us. Hey, uh, I I want to do a different thing. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to redo your intro, Pete. And now it's the fabulous Fenzel. Oh, thank you very much, Matt. Thank you very much. So I want to mention two different properties, uh, one of which because it's a fun movie title that I really like, and the other which because I think it's actually good alliteration. <laughs> so the uh, – because that's what we're asking about, right, is alliteration? Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite alliteration? Great. All right. So so the movie title I first want to bring up uh, is – which is a fun movie title that is alliterative but is not good alliteration is the movie Darkman 3, Die, Darkman, Die, uh, which I, I'm a fan of. I've mentioned it before on the podcast at least once over the course of the last six years. I saw it on HBO at one point when I was like 16 years old. Um, I feel like the the, uh, the title in German would be much better, which would be Darkman, Die, Die, Darkman, Die, uh, which would be all alliterative. But 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the repetition of the words kind of takes something away from the alliteration, right? Because alliteration is kind of about holding one thing in place while moving the other things. And as such, the other things that have moved kind of become connected by virtue of the alliteration. You right? know, so Pete, it- we should probably give a capsule definition of alliteration uh, because, you know, that's the kind of thing that we ought to do. So will you, for the, for the edification of our uh, listeners, will you tell truly the tale of of uh alliteration yeah sure so alliteration is a is a figure of speech where a bunch of words are begun begin with the same consonantal sound i'm going to add that particular qualifier sometimes people include it sometimes people don't i feel like it's kind of important because vowels are kind of like they kind of blend into each other and the way that vowels are voiced in english uh they don't always necessarily sound the same or, or have this even when we're aware of it or not aware of it but the same consonantal sound starts a, a word you know so like you know it's uh it's a uh, you know uh, to sit in solemn, solemn silence on a dull dark dock right dull dark dock i'll begin with the d that's alliteration mm-hmm. right? um Great. So Die, Dark Man, Die is fun, and it has that fun element of alliteration to it, but because it's the same word, Dark Man 3, Die, Dark Man, Die, and because the three in there doesn't really participate in everything happening around it from an alliterative standpoint, it doesn't really feel like the alliteration is really accomplishing anything. It just feels like the letters are there to be fun and to be memorable more than anything else, and also sort of exude a sort of surplus of emotion in naming this movie. We're so excited to make this movie that we gave it a movie that that has words in it that we should probably should changed. Uh, So an example of a movie title that I think uses alliteration well is the movie Finding Forrester. Uh, which is the the Sean Connery as J.D. Salinger living in the ghetto movie, right? Where it's like the basketball playing kid finds J.D. Salinger and he's an aspiring writer and uh, he's not actually J.D. Salinger. He's like a, he's an analog for it, but he teaches him how to write and then he woos Anna Paquin at this private school and all this other stuff happens. So the cool thing about Finding Forrester is that it has, you know, it sort of has emotion to it. Not emotion, but emotion in... Um, and that the the finding, you know, it's like okay, the movie starts with finding, sort of like uh, you know, like um, desperately seeking Susan is another example of like a movie that has alliteration where the first word is uh, uh, gerund, right, and the second word meaning it ends in ing and it has to do with a verbal action, um, although it might not be a gerund because actually it's verbal. Anyway, throwing that away, it's an ing word followed by a place where you land, right, and you connect the action with the landing, right, uh, in in the uh, and the alliteration connects the two. It makes the the motion and the stability, uh, the sort of the takeoff and and the and the perching, uh, connected to each other. So in finding Forrester, it's cool because you think when you hit Forrester, right, that you've you've that there's this this object there's that there's this thing that the finding has resulted in and that it would be a satisfaction except that the forest is a, is in itself a place of mystery, right? And so you have this idea of somebody is finding and they find a forest. Um, right, and of course, Forrester is the last name of the writer who Sean Connery plays in this movie, um, and uh, and so you find something that in turn gets you lost again, right? And so there's a, there's a cool element to which the Forrester the uh, Forrester is also someone who goes into the forest, right? And so conceivably, a Forrester is someone who does a fair amount of searching, uh, and so it's like oh, there's a cyclicality to it. You're searching for a searcher. You're searching, and you find a place that is ambiguous or that is undisclosed or is dark and primordial in some way. Right or is, is sheltered or obscure and all this other stuff. And I, I think that's cool. The alliteration there makes the words more 
connected and shows uh, and reinforces the similarity between what's happening, um, as well as the sort of irony in, in naming a movie like that. Um, you know, sort of like finding, seeking, finding, finding. No, I think um, that's, I mean, I think that's exactly right, right? The first word is a gerund, which is a, a, a verbal noun, right? Right. And the, the second word is a different kind of verbal noun, right? Sort of. It's a proper name, yeah. but it's, it's a substantive, right? It's, it's a verb that's, that's made into a noun. Like a forester is one who forests, which is like a logger or something like that, I think, right? Like, uh, I, I guess a forester can be all kinds of things and not just someone in the timber industry. But uh, A forester but, is also a Subaru sport utility vehicle. Oh, nice. Good. <laughs> so it's, we're back to our podcast. We're back to the car cast about what kind, of, <laughs> what kind of thing. And the four-wheel drive is probably very useful to you up in New England where you, where you live. Yes. Finding foresters is usually pretty easy when you live in New England. You just walk outside, you point in the direction, you point in the direction of the nearest cheese shop. There's probably going to be two or three foresters between you and the nearest cheese shop. So uh, next in the alphabet, it's the loquacious Lee. Well, before I get to my answer, I'm kind of shocked that Matt, you uh, did not seize upon the opportunity to say you're the man now, dog. <laughs> given that we were talking about finding freaking Forrester, right? Or, or you could say like, you're the you're the car now, Forrester. Now, so <laughs> there's so many opportunities <laughs> there. So finding freaking Forrester is a is a gerund, a participle, and a substantive all in a row. <laughs> That's a, it's a uh, it's just a melange of wonderful grammatical uh, curiosities today. And also a wonderful opportunity to misuse an extra comma. So find, finding comma freaking Forrester. Matt, you're, really not, you're not going to say the line or some uh, version you want, thereof? You want me to play the, the Sean Connery game for you? Yes! Yes, oh, I do. All right. You're the man now, dog. Thank you. Okay. Now we can... Con- finding can- Forrester. It's a, it's a, a gerund and a substantive. <laughs> now, now we can continue with the podcast. Um... My answer for favorite alliteration in a movie title has got to be Dirty Dancing. Um, <laughs> because for, for, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that um, Dirty Dancing, right, it, 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 it very much captures the spirit of the movie, uh, which is that the, the D and the D form a nice pair, as you would expect a dancing pair uh, to, 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 um, to be comprised of. And it also speaks to the uh, inherent conflict in the movie right the dirty side the lower class versus the dancing the elegance of the upper class um i i think that uh i don't know what that was an accident or if they really planned that out um but uh but that works really quite well and the other thing great about it as well is that the, well well dirty calling anything dirty just makes it sound so much more scandalous than that movie actually is um and so it, it made this sort of this uh, this taboo movie that I, I i never saw until my very late teens um so dirty dancing it's great and i had the alliteration of my life and I never spelled this way before. Yes, that's a film that stars Patrick Swayze. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So as long as we're talking about the semiotics of, or the semantics and the well, really the form as much as the semantics of the title Dirty Dancing, how would it be different if it were instead called Dancing Dirty? Like, how does Dirty Dancing and Dancing Dirty sound like two very different movies to me? I don't know if they sound like different movies to you. Well, right. But- so, like, so Dirty, right, Dirty Dancing, one of the things, one of the things that alliteration does that Pete, that Pete pointed out is it, it kind of yokes words together more strongly, right, than, than they might otherwise be, 
uh, yoked together, where whether it's an adjective noun pair or a, a you know kind of a verb object kind of uh, kind of relationship, you know that um, that it sort of it it uh, it increases the bond um, that the two that the two words have. So dirty dancing makes it sound like there is no other kind of dancing, as though dirty was an intrinsic quality of dancing, right? Whereas dancing dirty. Uh, by putting right by putting the verb or the verbal rather first, you uh, you you make it sound like there are other kinds of dancing, and the one that you're doing is dirty, right? Um, where, whereas uh, dirty dancing, to me, to my ear anyway, just just implies that that dancing is a dirty act from Jump Street, right? Which is interesting. Oh, go ahead, Katrina. Uh, dancing dirty, it sounds to me like uh, there is just one kind of dancing. It is like the normative, you know, pure dancing. But then these individual people are coming in and making it dirty. Mm. They are bringing the dirtiness into the dancing, it seems to me. That's a good point. So you have a pure, you have a pure form of dancing that, that gets contaminated with dirt. Like one piece of dirt ruins an entire quantum of dancing. Yes. <laughs> And that's a good, another great bond is quantum of dancing. Quantum like of that. dancing. <laughs> yes. A lot of that one was left on the cutting room floor. This also helps explain why the movie name Dirty Dancing Havana Nights seems totally just without serious work behind it. Because Dirty Dancing is this elegant, really tightly packed, taut, toured phrase that has all these kind of internal tensions and interesting reveals that are happening within it and, t- and titillations. But then you add the H, the big fat H and the big fat uh, N of Havana Nights, and I feel like you just throw all that away. Uh, just, just. I mean, what would, yeah. would you guys think of a different name for a Dirty Dancing sequel that would provide it a little bit more uh, of, of, of a little more chutzpah, I suppose, a little more guts. I mean, dirty dancing to dance dirtier, you know, like. <laughs> dirty dancing in the dark. How about just dirty dancing doubles? Or no, like <laughs> dirty, dirty, dan- dirty dancing duos. Duos. Like so, oh, dirty dancing duets. Maybe, dirty. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, by the way, there's an interesting story about the um, the dirty dancing Havana Nights, the writing of it. Right. It was a. Um, a, a script that had nothing to do with Dirty Dancing, but was somehow co-opted into the, the Dirty Dancing franchise, the Dirty Danceverse. <laughs> um, it was like retrofitted into a Dirty Dancing movie somehow after the fact. Um, I think it's like there's probably this American Life episode about um, about that uh, voice by the, the writer himself who was forced to uh, acknowledge the shame of having written Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Um, the other thing before I relinquish uh, my turn at answering the question of the week is that when we, earlier when we were talking about Dirty Dancing versus Dancing Dirty. Um, all I could really think of was uh, uh, how Dancing Dirty sounded like writing dirty. And uh, gotta catch me dancing dirty. Gotta catch me dancing dirty. So that was yep. my, I was just taking my second, second they opportunity. They see me dancing my ballroom. I know <laughs> that they're thinking that I'm dancing dirty. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I have, I have one other. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do. Yeah, I, I no, I don't care. I, I don't really do a Jerry Orbach, but the the uh, Jerry Orbach look up uh, his musical theater past because he was uh, you know that guy was a serious stage actor before he made his fu money um, on uh, on Law and Order. Uh, but now it is time for the third answer of the question: the magnificent Milofsky. 
Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So I was having a hard time because there's so many choices. I was thinking of uh, Jane Austen, and then it went to Blackadder because uh the whole third season um is a bunch of alliteration you got ink and incompatibility sense and senility etc and then of course george r r martin does all this stuff over and over again my favorite being storm of swords because who would put those words together that's just crazy george um but my answer is actually not going to be a movie at all it is a comic book um from way back in the day which is crazy cat um, which starts with a K and then another K, because I think that we need to bring the two Ks back. The two Ks were a beautiful thing that um, I think came from the Jewish tradition of putting Ks at the beginning of words or even the middle of words because it's just a funny letter. Um, but then, you know, you uh, you get that racial history in there and then there's suddenly three Ks in a row and it gets to be a mess. However, they're bringing it back because on Brooklyn Nine-Nine last season, Andre Brower was playing this uh, game on his phone that he was obsessed with called Quasi Cupcakes, um, starting with two Ks. And that is amusing if you could hear um, Andre Brower say it because he's very deadpan. Um, and that game was based on uh, Candy Crush, which is two Cs and just way less funny. So I am saying that Crazy Cat brought in these two Ks in a humorous fashion. Um, you know, it went away for a time. Let's bring back the Ks. They are hilarious. Yeah, just, K, don't, God, just don't add a third. Just don't add the third. Is, is that true, Shane? Is that, like a, is that a tradition that comes out of, of Judaism in some way? I'm not sure if it does. It's just um, I would imagine, though, that it does come from the the ch uh, ch sound, like the ha and Hanukkah, um, just being amusing. And then um, I guess you could say like Krusty the Clown comes from, from that Jewish uh, sort of vibe. <laughs> um, that K, although I believe the clown is a C, but nevertheless. Um, there is a list of funny letters out there, and K would probably be in the top three, I would imagine. So the the thing that is interesting to me here, right, like, is that these these things are not uh, based on the orthography, right? They're based on the phonetics. Um, so w- however it's spelled, having the same sort of phoneme at the beginning of the word, the same uh, the same sound, right? Whether it's spelled uh, C or K would still count as it were as alliteration and and so the thing that that is interesting to me is like how alliterative are consonant clusters huh consonant clusters right i that's suppose crazy. yeah that's crazy um the the like actually consonant cluster is is an example of the kind of thing that i'm talking about where there is a continuant after uh, after the initial consonant in the word cluster, that L is sort of a semi-vowel and not, it's not really a semi-vowel. It's, it's a sort of continuant though, right? And not like most consonants, which are based on kind of like an instant of, you know, uh, phonetic activity, right? Like you, you sort of explode or tap or, uh, whatever, um, to make a, to make a consonant. But there are a few like, uh, L, R, W, N, M, um, 
that you can elongate. Uh, and, and so cur, cur, like to what extent do you think, do you think of that KR combination as, uh, as, as the single initial consonant or, or is it like, um, does the R almost, almost count as a vowel? Cause it's, it's a continuous, it's a continuant that like rhotic R, uh, or no, is rhotic just at the end? I don't know. We need a linguist. Is there a linguist in the house? Um, actually, if you are a linguist, if you know something about diagramming sentences, would you please email me uh, at podcast at overthinkingit.com? I would like to talk to you. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, write like crazy cat. Um, I, I, I don't know. I the don't crusty know if that crab ca- is I, another one from SpongeBob SquarePants. The crusty crab. Crusty uh, is- crab. Right. Like to me, that's closer, right? Because they're both cur and cur. Or crusty the cl- clown is two different ones. Cur and cool, right? I don't know. It's, I'm just making funny noises into a microphone at this point. I should probably stop. Well, why don't you give us your example, Matt? Uh, well, mine is obvious. I'm, I'm going with Gossip Girl. Uh, for the reason, <laughs> for the reason that I stated before that um it uh, it sort of posits gossip as an intrinsic quality of the girl uh of this particular girl in particular though uh though um so, uh, spoiler alert what what happens uh the identity of gossip girl which is revealed at the end of the series will uh will shock and surprise you uh before we leave this, I think we need a closing word from our uh, from our resident literary historian, Pete Fenzel. <laughs> so, okay. So one thing I do want to add to this conversation before we move on, and I'm surprised that Mark didn't bring this up, is that there is a very special subcategory of movies that participate in alliteration in a particularly specific way. And I'm talking about movies that begin with the letter T, such as Terminator or Taken. And this alliteration is that when their, when their sequel comes up, you know, as it inevitably does, the the sequel letter, your number oh. rather, two, alliterates the name of the movie. So Terminator 2 is actually quite a delightful little movie title to say, right? Terminator 2. Uh, it, it dances a little bit. It has a cool little scansion. The T's are, are kind of stand out. Um, and people refer to it as such without often saying Judgment Day at the end of it, right? There's a right. very different feeling between saying Terminator – I saw Terminator 2 over the weekend versus I saw Terminator 2 Judgment Day over the weekend. It's more serious. Right there's there's something about the Terminator and the two. I think when a movie starts with a T, and I'll I'll pause this to the group too. But my my take is that if a movie starts with a T and it has a sequel uh, called Two, then that means it that the title is telling you that the movie is really fun. It's really enjoying the fact that it has a sequel. Like it, it makes that the sequel feels more natural or feels more enjoyable. Like like Taken Two, right? If I hear that and I'm just like, of course there's a Taken Two, right? Like it just it just feels fun. I don't know what do you guys think about uh, movies that start with t or i guess movies that start with th and have threes at the end right if if there's any that you guys can think of thor three yeah there is going to be a thor three right thor three that's like unfortunate (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know it's it's funny you mentioned like when you mentioned it was like well of course terminator 2 is an alliteration but it did not occur to me because i was thinking visually of spelling it out right you know Mm. t-e-r-m-n-a-i-t-r and then the letter and then the number two Right, as opposed to T W O, so that's why that didn't, that didn't register me. Register to me. So uh, you still would call it an alliteration, though, because they're talking about like consonant sounds as opposed to how something is written out. 
um, uh, you know, sort of in in in, in print, right? But it's not yeah, just yeah. this one, though, um, because if you put the two before the word, as in the two towers, um, you don't have that sort of jauntiness of putting the two afterwards. And I think for me, um, that sort of joy of the two afterwards comes from the fact that in my mind, sometimes it reads like T O O, like oh, here's another one, that two, right? Um, yeah. Whereas um, in the, the two towers, unless that was the second one, the two towers too. No, um, <laughs> you, the two seems very, um, I don't know, heavy to me. Like there's not just one tower. There are two of them. So I think the placement is, is vital in this case. Isn't I, that, I mean, it wasn't that capitalized on in, in uh, Look Who's Talking too? right <laughs> yes exactly i was trying to think of exactly yes when actually when actually like the manifest content of that title is actually look who is also talking <laughs> right and then of course there's dumb and dumber 2 that's coming up which spells a t-o which is just being deliberately annoying <laughs> um rather than not going dumb and dumber also right but dumb and dumber in the direction of Right or something along those lines, but I agree it sounds jaunty. Like there's a bunch of cool euphonic uh, movie titles that have a two at the end, where I totally agree. It's 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 almost a blessing. It is a blessing that the movies don't spell out to T W O. It's all it's the number or it's the Roman numerals, right? Because then that leaves it even a little bit more ambiguous as to phonetically what it represents. I was thinking particularly of Rocky Two and particularly Rambo Two, although that's also Rambo First Blood Part Two, which is awful. But if but Rambo Two that has a nice cool you know it sounds good it's and and uh and it also is jaunty it's certainly much jauntier than rambo one i think it uh, has to do with english or at least our dialect of english with like ooh being an expression of of delight or surprise you know that like oh oh it's terminator two <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have time to briefly talk about other gg sounds because when you were talking about gossip girl and we started with gone girl um i was thinking that if you're putting those two le- letters together and saying that the gossip is intrinsic to the girl then what does it mean that the gone is part of the girl is i haven't read the book but i assume that's very important like this idea that um if you were a girl you were just going to be gone because you're some sort of wispy thing that you know uh just disappears and then we look for um as sort of an idealized figure as opposed to a person but then i think of gilmore girls and then the whole situation gets very muddy for me so if anyone could speak to that i would like to know about the the g uh, and then girl situation uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's an interesting thing, like sort of positing, positing goneness, if you will, as an intrinsic quality of femininity, right? Which is probably sort of politically retrograde, and you know we shouldn't get in, uh, we shouldn't get into because uh, I'll get hate mail. <laughs> well, no, but I mean it does in my mind anyway bring to mind uh the other g word that isn't said there but a ghost a gone girl is a ghost right so this is uh phantasm right um but that doesn't work with gilmore girls gilmore girls is just its own thing man i don't know what to say about it but well, it's on it's on netflix now so we can we can yeah, do everyone, extensive everyone we can do extensive primary research about uh, you know Gilmoreness as being posited as an intrinsic uh, quality of Rory and Lorelai. 
<laughs> I feel like if we were doing a podcast about the movie Gone Girl, we would have a very fruitful discussion about what you just said. But given that we are not, we should leave it as an open question for a point when we've actually seen the movie and uh, and instead talk about the fun stuff that you guys did this week. That is, yeah, Wait, that is absolutely true. You haven't seen. <laughs> only this one, only because you did that. Only because of you in that Groot picture, Gone Groot, or Ghost. Yeah, Gossip Groot. I don't want to hear about Gossip Girl. I want to hear the Groot gossip from Gossip Groot. So uh, that's why. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so uh, what you're saying basically is that it's left as an exercise to the reader, the the uh, or the listener, as as the case happens to be. Um, the whole uh, question of what kind of uh, of what kind of goneness is posited of of girls in in Gone Girl. Um, but let's talk about another alliterative title, Comic Con. We'll get to that in in just. One second. Before that, uh, I want to make sure you know about a couple things that are happening on Overthinking It this week. Um, one is that uh, we are reaching the one-year anniversary of the relaunch of the TFT podcast, which uh, is no longer a Gossip Girl podcast. I don't know if, if actually, if the audience that uh, listen that sort of attends Overthinking It uh, in general knows this. About a year ago, Ryan Sheely and I relaunched. Uh, the TFT podcast as an indie music podcast. And so we've been doing a music podcast on Overthinking It, uh, doing what we do on Overthinking It, but um, w- with as uh, taking as its notional subject uh, albums, right? Uh, you know, rock and roll, pop, hip hop albums um, for about a year now. And we are approaching the year anniversary of the new format of the TFT podcast. You know, I love to kind of commemorate these minor milestones. Uh, when you don't get paid to do a thing, that's all you have is minor milestones, another persuasive alliteration. Um, though I don't want to posit that all milestones are minor or minorness is, is an intrinsic quality of milestones. To me, this is kind of a, a major milestone that we've been doing it uh, for uh, we've been doing it for a year. Now, we're uh, going to relaunch with um, with a different... Uh, with a different acronym. Uh, we're changing the acronym of the show, uh, keeping it the TFT podcast, but whereas TFT used to stand for these effing teenagers, um, now it's going to stand for something else. And you should uh, listen to the episode uh, that's coming up this week to find out uh, what that is. So if you are interested in, in music, listen to the TFT podcast. Now, the interesting thing we do is uh, TFT has, has always been notionally a seminar, a, uh, a college course, you know, or a grad school course, a university seminar. Um, so we sort of go by the academic calendar and we use uh, milestones from uh, from the academic world. Uh, so the upcoming episode is going to be a review session uh, of the previous year's work in, in uh, preparation, I suppose, for some sort of final exam, uh, which will be administered on Twitter, I guess, because that's where we, that's where we do a lot of the discourse around the show. Um, but we spend one quarter talking about uh, indie music in current release albums that are coming out as we're recording. And then we spend alternate quarters, uh, about three months, about 12 episodes, talking about uh, music that is historically important. So we will go on these long kind of historical uh, historical sweeps. Uh, the most recent one having to do with the advent of punk 
uh, and its transition into post-punk and new wave that was really interesting and got me listening to some music that I had not been familiar with before, including uh, a seminal album by the band Television called Marquee Moon, which is you know, an amazing record. Uh, and both Pete Fenzel and Mark Lee have been guests on the TFT podcast and talked with us about various, uh, various rock albums. So, uh, that's one thing. Another podcast, in case you're not aware of just the breadth of podcasts that we have on overthinking it, uh, is our book club podcast where we take as the occasion for overthinking. I mean, overthinking is its own reward, but there has to be an occasion for overthinking. Uh, we take as an occasion for overthinking. Thinking, uh, a book, and we have done Ender's Game, and we have done Slaughterhouse Five, and uh, this week we are launching a new uh, season or sweep or project or you know I'm, I'm not quite sure how to uh, how to describe the series of podcasts uh, particular focused around a particular work, but we're launching a new one this week, um, focusing around taking as a text as our book, uh, if you will. Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III, depending on how you count. Um, and Shana is going to be involved in that one. It's going to be hosted by our own Ben Adams uh, and have also special podcasting guests from off of Overthinking It uh, because video games is not our um, – our sort of unique, uh, our unique value. So we're, we're, uh, bringing in help and we're going to play through Final Fantasy six VI or three and, uh, talk about it as we go. So there are two other podcasts on overthinking it. I hope you, uh, will check them out, subscribe to them in iTunes, share them with your friends, uh, who might be interested in the kinds of things that we do. Um, and, uh, and that would be wonderful. Uh, I have a question. Yes. Uh, does the second version of TFT that um, you have, does that stand for these FN2? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Though that's not, uh, that's not uh, alliterative, right? Because th- the voiced TH sound, right, doesn't alliterate with, uh, with two. Um, what? So- <laughs> so- no, no, I got it. I got it. Terminator Forester 2. <laughs> awesome great title excellent I look, look forward to listening to it yeah a lot of lot of seo value in that one <laughs> all right on to comic-con so you uh you mark lee and you sean Olasky, went to new york comic-con um we I did? Mean, yeah this this very weekend uh so mark let me let me turn it over to you first i mean what were your impressions of uh this this year's comic-con Sure. So uh, a little bit of background. Um, We've been going to Comic-Con now for six years running. This is the sixth year in a row that Overthinking It has been a member of the elite press corps for New York Comic-Con and have gone to uh, provide coverage of whatever sort of the convention of the event as a whole, the panels that happen, this sort of thing. Um, And I think the experience has changed quite a bit uh, since Matt and I actually first went uh, and Shana also. Uh, back in 2008 or 2007, a long time ago, uh, back then. Um, and here, at least... Pre-Terminator Salvation. Do you remember that? We sat, I, in the, we sat in the giant exhibit hall and listened to never Mick G forget. talk about... Yeah. Never <laughs> okay, so that's part of one of the things that, that, is, that has changed about the experience, right? And so, Matt, like you and I showed up maybe like a couple through two, two hours before the main hall opened up the morning of at a reasonable hour, like nine o'clock or so, uh-huh. to get in line for one of the big marquee... Uh, panels uh, of of the entire Comic Con, right? Uh, you know, sneak previews for Watchmen and Terminator Salvation. It was a big deal, right? But like, it was a total thing that we could have easily done, right? 
this time around has gotten to the point where um, to get into the big panels on Saturday, people apparently were lined up the night before and stayed, I think, like lined up outside of the Javits Center in a cold driving rain so that they could get their wristbands to see uh, to see Patrick Stewart and um, to see the Cirque du Soleil cosplay competition. Okay, right. Like this is not for the faint of heart anymore. Like you have to be totally dedicated to this uh, to this thing, this this thing, we this con we call comic um, to get the most out of it. And so this is how I feel about this now, right? I am neither a serious enough fan to come in and appreciate all the wonders that Comic-Con has to offer and all the crazy cosplay that people show up in, nor am I a serious enough journalist or writer, whatever you want to call it, to be able to plunk myself down in, in, in a line or do whatever it takes to go out and seek the stories or to, to go and sit in the, the, the awesome, exciting panels. Um, I, I'm not as serious enough to, to go out there and like grab all that stuff around. Maybe this just might be the fact that like I was not feeling particularly physically well Saturday when I was there, but I left kind of being like, oh, I I am not cut out for this anymore. Um, and 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 that's our feeling. I'm, I feel a little bit sad about that. Maybe like either like that I myself have have changed or have been left behind, or that the convention has has moved on, morphed on into something bigger and larger. But that's where I am now. Like I'm I'm, I'm feeling a, a little bit a little bit sad. I'm glad that it went, but a little bit sad. Well, so like, I, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to jump in yet because I I wasn't there. Shana, what what were your impressions? Did you also feel sad uh, at this Comic Con? I don't know if sad is the word, but I definitely had a feeling of like um, the elves moving to the West, uh, the magic leaving. And there is a little bit of a bittersweetness. I mean, I had a good time, but yes, I've been there before. And um, yeah, I felt the very similarly to Mark, like I'm not sure it's place for me to be anymore, but I enjoy that everyone else enjoys it. I did manage to get to a couple of panels. Um, they were not the very popular ones, which is, uh, you know, I'm like the hipster, like, Oh, I, I went to a panel, but not the one everyone else likes, you know? Um, so I went to, the yeah, you, you, you probably haven't heard of the panels that I go to. No, the funny no, thing is that you got to see the, the Americans, did. right? I did. Um, and every single person I talked to about it said, what? What's that? Um, but yeah, I did go to the Americans on FX wait, panel. Wait, are you uh, kidding? Do people not overthinkers? I call you to action. If you don't know about the Americans on FX, like beg, borrow or steal to get a copy of that show and watch the first two seasons because it's it's on Amazon Prime, I believe. Oh, there you go. You can stream it. Uh, I'll, you know what? I'm going to put a link, an affiliate link in the in the show notes for this episode so that you can uh, give a little kickback to overthinking it and support us that way. Uh, and and you know what? You will thank us after you have watched The Americans, which is a fantastic bit of writing and acting uh on television oh man is it good well um it was a good panel also it was moderated by andy greenwald the tv critic um and he actually started off with his own uh, little overthinking which was pretty great where he was talking about um how he made a parallel between um carrie russell's character elizabeth um her relationship with her daughter um and then also her estrangement from her own mother because she was taken away when she was uh, very young to become soviet spy um so and then uh, after that 
that, eventually uh, they opened the floor for questions. So, of course, I just bounded out of my seat to get up to the microphone um, and to plug overthinking it. So you're welcome, guys. Um, but then, uh, so I asked an overthinking it type question, asking them about their um, musical, 80s musical montages that they use, um, and asking them if they had any ideas for the music uh, that is going to be on this season, but they hadn't really thought about it yet. And also if in the previous seasons that they would like to overthink um, the, the hidden meanings inside the montages or the, the musical choices that they made. Um, and they, there was a stunned silence and everyone looked very confused including Carrie Russell. Um, but uh, then one of the showrunners, he said um, that everything has a hidden meaning. And I was like, you're so right, man. You're so right. So wait, could you, are there hidden meanings in the... I haven't watched The Americans yet. Maybe I need to get on that. So are there hidden meanings in the musical montages that happen early in the show? I, I think they're not very hidden. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just trolling them? You're just trolling them with fan <laughs> theories that don't exist? Yeah, just I mean a little bit, right? Um, was there? Wait, you we went to a you didn't lead with I went to Comic Con and I got to see Carrie Russell because that's how I would have led. You saw Carrie yeah, Russell at I a panel. And yeah, you, and, and you, you described this panel with Carrie Russell as being like one of the lesser panels at New York Comic Con. There were, I mean, it was crowded, but you could have gotten in after it started for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was filled. Uh, I sat next to a bunch of press people. So I think we were the ones who were the fans. Um, and then the uh, people who were into, you know, the other Comic-Con things, the people who were in cosplay or whatever, um, mostly did not come in. So it was definitely a, just a different crowd, which makes sense. It's not science fiction, fantasy, anime. It's in a whole different genre. Um, so, yeah, but it it worked out. And Carrie Russell, shockingly, is very beautiful in real life. So in case you were wondering, that's some underthinking it. Um, yeah, uh, so that that was my panel, my, the panel I liked. Uh, before that, I went to, because I had some time, to the Marvel uh, digital panel that they had where they were talking about the new mobile games that they were making. Um, and they were also making um, a web series that is a superhero-themed cooking show, um, <laughs> which they started apparently with Spider-Man. I'm trying to think of web-like food that they could make, and it does not sound appetizing. Um, but the most interesting thing to me is they are making a documentary um, that uh, is sort of about, not only about, um, the Marvel Civil War series, um, which is this political allegory um, involving the government, um, making laws concerning superheroes, and then the various superheroes in the Marvel universe, including the X-Men, sort of uh, butting heads over it. Um, and so they brought in Stan Lee um, and Joss Whedon and some other people from the science fiction fantasy comics realm to talk about it. But then they also brought in on this documentary Tucker Carlson and Chris Hayes. So, um, yeah, they are they are really bringing in the the politics in uh, this, which is fascinating to me. Um, I know Marvel has been sort of political in its movies recently with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but they are really hammering it home. They're, they're in the political allegory game, hardcore now. Um, yeah, and then the other thing I did was <laughs> Comic-Con speed dating, guys. Whoa! So, 
You yeah. did talk about speed dating? Yeah, because it was free. It was actually um, uh, from the the Flash. Uh, the CW uh, had they called it like Flash dating. So there you go. Um, and I said I'm gonna do that. So I did, um, which was an experience for sure. It was a lot of fun. Um, you, I, I didn't realize, but I shouldn't have been surprised how many people were in costume when doing this. So um, I got to speak to Mario from Mario Brothers. I got to. <laughs> speak to Uncle Grandpa, which is a show I was not aware of apparently before Adult Swim. And there was this guy with this big belly on and there was candy. It was filled with candy. He was giving out candy. Um, various anime characters. Um, so it was interesting in the sense of I've never actually been speed dating before, but I would imagine when you do it, you would ask uh, questions that weren't directly related to what the person was wearing. Um, but in this case, it was very difficult not to be like, okay, what, what is this whole getup all about? <laughs> I tried very hard not to ask this, um, but it just, it came up. What are you going to do? Um, yeah, so that, that was, in a nutshell, my Comic-Con experience from that's, this year. I mean, that's, you know, Mario, you know, he may seem cool, but he's really hung up on his ex. Mm. <laughs> did, did well, you, uh... He has brother issues, too. It's like a whole freaking thing. <laughs> did you tell people you were cosplaying the Americans and then give them, like, a knowing look with sinister intentions? Oh, I, I could have done that. I th- I was thinking to myself that I was actually cosplaying as an, a legitimate journalist because um, <laughs> I had a press pass. Yeah, I went into the press lounge, used the bathroom. Um, guys, if you can get into Comic-Con with a press pass, they have the best bathroom up there. Um like there was no line it's amazing um but yeah and uh mark and i are making this video that um required me to actually look like a journalist for a second so um people who visit overthinking it we will hopefully have that video up soon so you can see us do our little shtick it was a lot of fun you'll see all the people and costumes milling about and uh you can feel like you too were in the javits center surrounded of just a clot of people and feeling very claustrophobic but happy. Yeah, okay, so just quickly, uh, the videos will be up on the site um, tomorrow, Monday. Um, as you listen to this podcast, you can also go do overthinking it to to watch the video. Um, we sort of tried to capture some of the the, the chaotic and um, and extreme natures of of New York Comic Con with a little bit that we do about that that uh, mimics some of the, the tools and techniques of uh, of reporting from war zones and crisis zones. So check that out; it'll be great. But Shana, I have questions. I have so many questions for you. Please. Okay, let's go back to to the superhero cooking show, right? We, you brought that up, <laughs> and we just sort of like very quickly sped by it. But I, I got to know more about this, right? Is this honestly? Is this is this is this, is this, is this say very much? Okay, is it? Uh, so, do you know if it at least is like um, superheroes who are cooking for you, or like no. regular people who are cooking superhero themed dishes? The, the latter, yeah. Um, one of the guys on the panel. I'm not exactly sure what. <laughs> his uh, actual job was because I got to the panel late so I didn't know who was who but um, he said that he and some friends who are also from Marvel um, were deciding that they were going to cook things that are superhero themed and then um, they would bring the food out to the table and then discuss comics in general and also that particular superhero sort of like overthinking it plus dinner 
Okay. Plus Spider-Man. Okay, but you don't, you didn't go get to to find out what like specific examples of superhero themed food dishes were. No, they sped by this very quickly. It okay. was like a two sentence thing. I, I apologize, Mark. That's too bad. I'm not trying to think like what what is uh, uh here's a good one. Like what does the Hulk eat versus what does Bruce Banner eat? Mm. Pete, I'm turning to you as our resident in-house Hulk expert. Does does the Hulk eat anything when he's in Hulk form? Pete. Silence. Um, you know, I think I don't think the Hulk generally requires food. Uh, although I'd have to I'd have to double check that. And I what I really wanted to check is see. I wonder if Bruce Banner might be a vegetarian. I was about to say um, that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, exactly. Oh, he's vegan, I think. Right? Like, uh, I'm going to the the veggie boards where there's a thread about vegan Bruce Banner, uh, <laughs> and they have like a, an excerpt from a Hulk comic about him being vegan on a, on a cattle ranch and how the cattle rancher is like irritating him and making him angry, which he really shouldn't do. <laughs> like, you shouldn't make you shouldn't make him angry. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I would think that the that the Hulk is sustained off of like gamma radiation or whatnot, and never I've never known the Hulk to eat. Although I'm not sure, right? Does the Hulk maybe he's like photosynthetic? You don't know. Yeah, I mean, in, the Hulk has such a wide variety of permutations, and I like the permutations of the Hulk, where the Hulk is um, is only the Hulk for brief periods of time, and those times are periods of extreme duress, where the Hulk was doesn't really necessarily like need to eat. But there are times when the Hulk is the Hulk for like a long time, like when the Professor Hulk, like in the future Perfect storyline, the Peter David comics. Uh, I feel like in that case, the Hulk, I guess, would probably need to eat. I'm not sure, um, but I don't know. It's I don't think so. I think I would say that um, that you, the if you're a really hardcore Hulk fan, um, then you might think so. But I don't know. I think that uh, the way that I like the Hulk is in the sense that the Hulk is not really around for meals. You know, he might eat for his own amusement as well. He could like take a big old bite out of a, a cow in rage or something. Although Bruce Banner would hate that being vegan, so I'm not sure. But yeah, uh, what would you cook for Bruce Banner? Could you you would have to cook something that is able to transform. Right, Lou, you'd have to. You could cook a. Um, don't they do things like that? Like uh, cook like a small yellow uh, sort of souffleish kind of dish of some kind that you could like serve, and then it blows up into something big and green. Um, would there be? It would be popular, like a drink that did that. You could probably pour a drink that did something like that. Right, that like that like you could foam up big and green after it was sort of like small and know. clear. I was thinking of um, a surge colon, just like shaking it up before you open it, and then it just like yeah. fizzes as it expels out. That might I mean, be appropriate. I mean, my you had you had other questions, Mark, right? Like, yeah, okay. So more substantially, I want to definitely want to know more about the Comic Con speed dating, right? Yeah, Just like, yeah. Like the parameters for it to start off, right? Like, like how long did you have with each person, Shana? Well, in theory, it was three minutes, but uh, we were commenting toward the middle that it did not seem like three minutes anymore. I believe they were rushing a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I guess, what regular speed dating is like. Where you sit in chairs across from a person, you talk for three minutes, they ring a bell. And then um, in this case, the man would move a seat to the left, I think, or right. I don't know. Either way. Um, and then you would continue. Um, so three minutes, not very much. Uh, but yeah, it's um, there was very similar questions I asked mean, over and over. It, like three minutes is barely enough time, might be you know to explain a, a costume, particularly the the ones that involve more explanation. It's like you know they have to give up the whole backstory and explain that it's a TV show or this or that and the other. And the next thing you know, like two minutes have gone by. Well, some of them got really good at it um, because everyone was asking the same questions. It was like, I'm going to give this to you in 15 seconds. And it it was actually 13 seconds. I timed it. So, you know, (laughs) 
God. Um, but yeah, uh, there was a lot of, uh, what are you doing at Comic-Con? Like, what are you into? Are you into anime? Are you into comic books? Or are you into sci-fi? <laughs> and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So like, how, how often or how quickly did it take for the conversation typically to go away from like your pop culture interests into like what you do in your you know waking life? Um, I think that depended a lot on me because um, at a certain point I didn't want to be speaking about that anymore. Um, there were a lot of <laughs> so, I mean, so sad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to be subjected to that. No, You're like, I don't want these fun. people to know who I am or what I do. No, I that's just, not true, guys. Oh. I, I told pretty much everyone the our URL. I told everyone about my book. So by Hammer of Witches, Shane Malowski. Um, there you go. It's on Amazon. Use our affiliate link. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, that happened. And, you know, it's just fun talking to different people. Of course, the crowd was extremely young, I have to say. Not that they gave, gave me their ages but there were a lot of you know i don't <laughs> i don't want to say kids but there were a lot of kids who are still in school um so <laughs> they seem like they were younger than um students i've had in the past so in this case i was just uh, interested in learning about them not going to date them um but yeah it, it was interesting for the younger people that um to them compatibility comes from sort of what you're interested in pop culture wise and i don't know if that's true for everyone or it's particularly true of um the people who go to comic-con like i would prefer to date someone who's into anime because i'm into anime and we could you know join together or i don't particularly want to uh, be with someone who thinks star trek is better than star wars i don't know um but i don't think necessarily that's what uh makes a good relationship but maybe it could um, yeah, but at, at a certain point, I didn't want to ask that sort of question uh, anymore, and I was my normal pain in the butt self, being like, "All right, let's let's get to the nitty gritty here. Like, what is your purpose in life? What are you doing here? What what do you want to do?" Um, and they gave some very you know nice, sweet answers. Um, there was actually a guy I talked to who was treating the speed dating as if it were a job interview, um, which actually worked out pretty well. I started uh, stealing from him and be like okay what are your strengths and weaknesses and you got to learn a lot of very uh, interesting things about people so um yeah so at, it was like half no 75 percent questions about comic-con related things and maybe 25 percent about non-comic-con related things i would say more or less have any of you guys uh, ever done speed dating outside of the comic-con context I, I don't have I, much of a good I don't have a very good reference point for this. I mean, years ago, I was actually pretty active in the early to mid aughts. And Blinky can confirm this because he went to a number of events with me back when we lived together in New York. Uh, but I was pretty active in various sorts of alternative contrived ways of meeting people, speed dating, quiet room dating, like all sorts of weird kinds of contrivances. So I've, I've done I've done a few speed dating events over the years. Yeah. Um, what I was saying before about uh, the people in this context, um, talking about pop culture type of compatibility, um, did you find that when you were in non-Comic-Con speed dating where people were talking about, um, you know, what sort of art they're interested in or was it uh, something completely different? 
I mean, people were almost entirely talking about their jobs, right. uh, specifically about like their schedules. I, I felt like the the reasons that people were there were were pretty were pretty varied. But the most common reason that someone was there is that their job didn't allow them to like go out and socialize on a normal schedule. So it was a lot of women who were teachers and be uh, a lot of men who like traveled a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And it was and and so there's a necessary incompatibility there. But the other fact of it is that like I don't know. I think I think that people didn't tend to really get to the get to the point because it's not an environment where you feel really comfortable kind of opening up and being vulnerable to people or kind of like, you know, like taking risks, right? It's definitely one where it's like, you know, everybody is kind of being very prescribed in how they behave and that's not really how you discover fun moments with people. I never once had a date from speed dating and I went to like multiple events that I probably paid a total of well over $200 for. Um, and oh, wow. I never I never once got a date out of speed dating as far as I remember. I think I, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's not the kind of thing that would lead to you having a date with a person. Um, at least in my experience. But this was, again, this was like 10 years ago. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, but you're, I mean, I'm better at getting, I was better at the time at getting dates like in the grocery store than at like a paid singles event. Um, because Wait, you if, got dates in the grocery store? What's your, yeah. what's your secret? What certain times of year are they ripe? okay we're done keep going the the secret is to just not be super creepy and to just have an honest conversation with somebody that you meet at random (laughs) i mean i could tell a bunch of other a bunch of other secrets but um i mean i'm a little bit removed from that now and and uh i don't know i'd much rather talk about my pop culture compatibility with my current girlfriend thanks to us watching the the uh, 1993 94 three musketeers movie this weekend but, <laughs> and i will say that there is if, if you say you say pop culture compatibility doesn't matter but i say if you both both like con air it really helps <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's true. good point <laughs> but that's i mean so that uh, that's something that i kind of wanted to get get into a little bit that like this sort of the hunger for these cons, right? From like San Diego, well, from Comic Con now, now called San Diego Comic Con, right? Like, kind of expanding into these different events all over all over the country, and I'm sure that like Comic Con is a trademark. I don't know. There's there's probably some nerd somewhere who can give an elaborate history uh, of what it is, and I hope you will do that on the comments of the show notes for this episode because I would be very interested to hear how the you know um, uh, the growth of the the Comic Con brand, right? Like um, it's it's sort of not the cons seem to fill a different. Uh, a different uh, space, right, than than they did in the days of, like, the mid-90s when I was going to Star Trek conventions, right, because it was not possible to meet uh, Star Trek fans, right, in, in high school, you know, uh, but, like, I subscribed to Starlog, and I got news about the big Star Trek convention in Los Angeles, and I went to it, and I met other Star Trek fans and stood in line for autographs, and it was things like that. Now I could do that all on the internet. I mean, dating seems to be, like, and even, like, interest-based, uh, interest-based dating um, seems to be the same thing now. You can do that all on the internet, and, like, so the, the function of getting to Together live, getting together like IRL uh, is, uh, you know, is sort of a different is sort of a different thing. I go to a lot of conventions 
uh, for various software development and open source and sort of front end engineering kinds of things because that's what I do in my day job. Um, but those, the, like, mostly if you don't own your own business like me, like, mostly those are people, excuses for people to have a vacation on their employer's dime, you know, and not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, not a lot of heavy stuff happens there, but, um, but like, how, how do you see the function of getting together sort of in the right in the meat space, right? Like with cosplay, there's sort of a con- uh, performative aspect, um, aspect to it. And like, I'm, I'm sort of encouraged by a lot of like progressive political things that I see around cosplay, uh, these days, um, you know, happening, uh, at, at cons and stuff. Um, even as I'm discouraged by a a lot of bullshit that happens around it. Uh, but like, there's a performative aspect to it. There's also, I think this hunger, like in, in standing in line at night, I see that as a sort of hopeful act, right? Like, uh, you know, in, at all the cons, all the stuff in the cons is reported on, you know, all the news sites who have press passes like we had, um, and, and we don't do this, right? Because what's the, what the hell is the point when it's all on, you know, Hollywood Reporter and it's all on Deadline and it's all on uh, Nerdist and whatever, uh, seconds after it's, uh, after it's announced, right, by, like, reporters on Wi-Fi who are sitting in that... Uh, sitting in the press section of those of those exhibit halls, you know, they like, also have live streams, I believe, of a lot of them. So, so there's no other, right, like if you want the information, if the information were the important thing, there are much more convenient ways of getting the information. So it's got to be, it's got to be something else. I mean, I suppose proximity to Carrie Russell is is you know uh, pretty cool because she's awesome, but. Um, uh, but I don't know. Like, did you did you have a sense, uh, Mark and Shana, Mark or Shana, um, while while you were there, of sort of what this this was about? Well, I asked this uh, question, so but go on, Mark. I yeah, see. I mean, I have, a, I have a pretty simple service answer, which Shana, you can probably uh, do better at uh, you know expounding on than I can. Um, because just the the thing immediately comes to mind is just like the the phenomenon of wanting to be part of something larger than yourself, wanting to be part of a crowd. Um, we talked about all these things about, you know, why go to Comic-Con when you can exploit your interests and meet people on the Internet? I mean, like, you know, the, what comes to mind are sporting events, religion, right? You know, why go to the stadium when you can watch the game at, at home? Well, because in the stadium, you like you, you feel the electricity of the crowd, right? Why go to church when you can read the Bible at home and uh, meet Christians on the Internet and pray by yourself? Well, because you're part of that collective experience. Um, that that network of humanity that uh, that you can only feel in the presence of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of other people is that too simple of an answer no i mean actually i mean catholicism has you know theology around this specifically like why it's important to go even though you could you know even though you could have the diy version right uh what were you about to say shana you asked this question specifically of your your various interview subjects uh, not all of them, but yeah, a lot of them. And I was going to talk a lot about this, but you know what, Mark, that was actually the answer that most people gave. They said um, they wanted to be here because of the energy, um, which I think is really important because um, you do have 
uh, when you have very young people, you know, you have groups in your high school with your who like the same things you like, but it's not the same as being in this hall where you are surrounded and, you know, two feet away from all these people who have the same interests that you do. Um, and yeah, as you were saying, Matt, um, there is um, sort of a progressive element in some of it, although, as you said, also there is a lot of harassment around, but there were lots of big signs that um, were talking about the anti-harassment policy. Um, and I didn't see any, so maybe it was a little better this year. But um, yeah, there's a lot of progressive stuff going on. Um, you know, uh, gender-bent uh, cosplay was big, and not just in the drag, uh, like we're mocking people sense. I mean, we did see um, a bunch of men dressed as Sailor Scouts, and sometimes you think, oh, they're making a joke, but maybe not. Um, uh, but then- are you kidding? Have you like have you been following Wonder Wobear on uh, overthinking it for the last <laughs> several years? Like, that, uh, yeah, Mark was telling me a lot about this, um, but yes, yeah, so- <laughs> Mark was Wonder <laughs> Wobear at Comic Con at New York Comic Con. You know, I, I can't say for for certain. I did not see him. I was definitely on the lookout. I was disappointed that I did not um, get to see what what, what he had concocted this year. Wonder Wilbear, if you're uh, if you're listening to this podcast, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. We'd love to talk to you. Um, yeah, abs- absolutely. Like I saw a lot of like Instagrams of like cosplay is not consent and stuff like uh, you know stuff like that. That that sort yes, of warmed that, s- that sort of warmed my heart a little bit, right? Uh, because it it you know addressed it addressed a real problem in the in the space uh, head on in a way that you know I don't know that I sort of admired, but uh, it was multiple. Kinds of consent as well, um, because on the signs it said that it's not consent um, if they are wearing a costume. They don't necessarily consent to have their picture taken. And pretty much every time um, I uh, asked someone if I could take their picture in costume, all the other people around were asking the same question. Um, so there was definitely this undercurrent of this is what consent is on every level. Um, so I thought that it was uh, successful from what I saw. Sure. Uh, I mean, I have, I don't know, being, being an actor, I'm actually familiar, a little bit familiar with the body of law around like the use of your image. And, and, you know, if you're in public, you don't necessarily get to object when someone, when someone takes your picture, but I think it is more of a courtesy thing. Yeah, it is. It is probably like a a valuable courtesy, you know, a good courtesy to ask, uh, you know, to ask beforehand, right? Like, cause what's, what's the harm of asking? Uh, I guess they could say no, but if they say no, then like, do you really want to be the the dickhead who who does it anyway? <laughs> um, yeah. So so right. Like this is why. So let me like let me pivot into an area that's completely different. This is why like all these these things I see. I, you know, I have, I have friends who are into like uh, disrupting education and things like this, right? Like uh and which which but you, you mean know, like they just start talking in the middle of class <laughs> yeah exactly no <laughs> it's like you know i don't know replacing replacing college with uh with moocs right that's the one right. like massively something online courses uh like um you know large scale things and like making us all into a bunch of autodidacts and things like this and and here's why i don't think that like here's why i don't think it's going to be disrupted right like the point the point of comic con uh seems to be or the point of these like these not just comic con you know dragon con or my old star trek conventions or the various kinds of things uh seems to be to participate face to face in relationships with people right uh around um 
um, around shared interests or around, you know, various kinds of shared, uh, shared aspects of life, um, to participate in, in the relationship. And like, and this seems to me to be the case with, with education, right. As well, right. Like almost to a one, um, the great educational experiences of my life have involved great, like extraordinary pedagogical relationships and participating in that relationship as a student was the, uh, was the point of that far more than the actual information, right? Like far more than what could be encapsulated in a, uh, in an online course or a textbook or a series of videos or right. Or something like that. The sort of aspect of the aspect of mentorship right and and like um so it, so it seems to me that, that that to answer my own question from before that there is something in the there is something in the almost in the availability right of these of sort of interest based subcultures on the the internet that impoverishes the the experience and the the explosion of cons the fact that like now comic con is this thing that that happens in a lot of places is, is sort of either licensed or is franchised or is you know uh, just done everywhere now um, seems to be uh, an effort to rectify this um, this thing and that that like for all the for all the awesome and I live on the internet right so like I'm I'm you know a big booster of it uh, for all the things that are good about it uh, for all the things that it can do it can't do everything um i don't think it impoverishes it though do you really think that because um i think all for example the progressive element in uh the cosplay i I believe that started primarily on the internet whether that was in tumblr or in uh previous types of blogs or especially in the fan fiction community and i think um these blogs um and other websites or forums whatever are a way for people to connect with each other and then um the cons just supplement that don't you think uh sure but uh, sure um i don't know i have i have opinions about this that might be politically controversial and i don't want to get like hate mail or a bunch of like at replies on on twitter or uh, twitter or something like that but i think like very very often online politically it becomes way too easy to surround ourselves with with an echo chamber of of people we like and and also i mean in the face of like a lot of sort of manifest injustice uh that that plays out plays out online it becomes very easy to sort of pile on um pile on the self-righteousness uh which may well be which may well be justified but because it's self-righteousness i'm kind of suspicious of uh because it becomes because i am i have sort of an anti-authoritarian bent and like it becomes a new kind of authority uh and and whenever one of those rears its ugly head i'm i'm intrinsically uh, you know, sort of suspicious, sort of suspicious of it. There's something about, there's something about meeting in person where you kind of have to confront, you, you kind of have to confront a lot of contradictory aspects of, of a person, right? Things, things you like and things you may not like as well. And in the, in the set of compromises that is involved in confronting that, and I, I think you can tell by the halting way I'm talking is that, that I'm working out these ideas as I say them, but like in the set of compromises involved in confronting, uh, 
the you know contradictory pe- contradictory aspects of people face to face i think something valuable uh about tolerance and acceptance um is is learned uh that that is not uh that is not learned in the self reinforcing echo chambers um that a lot of sort of self-selecting online groups can become, uh, whether they're, I mean, right, like whether they're uh, centered around progressive politics or whether they're centered around various kinds of oppression or uh, whether, you know what I mean? Like whether or not I agree with the politics of the self-selecting online groups, they, they can become sort of self-reinforcing uh, self-reinforcing in a way that like dealing with the vicissitudes of, of IRL, um, IRL doesn't allow you to become self-reinforcing in that way. Does that make sense or am I full of it? No, I think, I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent, um, but I'm also thinking about the internet. Um, and this is a very similar to what you're saying, but from a different perspective, um, the perspective of marginalized populations, uh, you know, being able to find each other and come together and, um, you know, discuss things that they couldn't discuss in the mainstream culture where the mainstream culture is the one being self-righteous and putting, uh, you know, they're being put upon by this uh, higher authority, which is like this giant mass of America or whatever. Um, It's very similar to what, you know, the nerds think um, that they are put upon by others. And so they come together, whether on the internet or in Comic-Con to find their people. And perhaps when they are either online or, you know, in a group in person, um, they could pile upon someone else um, at the con and in person elsewhere. You know, you have my friends, the Android people who are like sucking Apple users, and, you know, and there is a very much a groupthink element there. Um, and maybe it's more virulent online um, than in person, for sure. There is that face-to-face aspect. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily think uh, that the internet n- has to be that way. Um, within certain uh, smaller groups, you have a little more interaction, uh, smaller websites or, you know, sub subreddits or sub tumblers, you know, it doesn't get um, the loud voices that you see aren't necessarily representative of what um, other smaller groups are doing. Um, and I think when they, those smaller groups come together and then meet each other at Comic-Con, um, that was, you know, supplementary. You're using uh, the internet to bring together these people who would otherwise feel marginalized in their own real life communities, bringing them together in Comic-Con so that they can feel that energy, that electricity of just being around others and not even necessarily talking to them. Like just being online with others, sorry, not online, in line with others, waiting to see Patrick Stewart, just feeling okay wearing the costume that you're in. Even if you are dressed up as a gender bent Loki or something, you don't have to feel necessarily that that's wrong or that you're going to be mocked as much as you would in your high school, for example, because the person behind you, even if you don't talk to them, is in the same uh, universe as you, you know? So uh, I agree with you, um, but I guess I somewhat disagree with you. There you go. <laughs> Can I jump in and, and, and contribute a little bit? Please. I know that uh, we were, we're running. No! As the, hege- <laughs> as the hegemon, 
uh, I don't want I don't want you I don't want the historically marginalized Fenzels to gain <laughs> to gain momentum and to you know what I mean to have their echo I mean that's a good point Shana about sort of historically marginalized groups gaining momentum uh, actually being reinforced a little bit by online discourse but but no let's uh, let's let's let the historically marginalized Fenzels have their say. <laughs> I'm not entirely marginalized at all by any means, but I appreciate it. So uh, I'll guess I'll, I wanted to touch on this from two directions, and it's related to what you guys are talking about, but a little bit separate. So I've gone to Boston Comic Con a bunch of times. I've gone to some other Comic-Cons. I've gone to some other conventions. I go to a lot of comedy festivals, which for all intents and purposes are improv conventions, where everybody gathers in a hotel and you go and you all watch shows together. Um, and so one of the things that's true about Comic-Cons, in my experience, is that it's pretty important that you are interested in the buying, selling, or dealing of comics or memorabilia, right? And that that is kind of lost a lot of the time, right? Which is that, like, I mean, it isn't necessarily important for you to be there to to do that. A lot of people are there and don't like doing that stuff. But if you're going to go to Comic-Con and you're going to hang out at the convention for a long time and you're not, like, a dedicated cosplayer, it's probably helpful for you to actually be interested in all the things that are for sale, right? And all of the vendors and the booths that are there. Because that's really kind of the meat of what's happening. Um, at least in my experience. And maybe at the bigger, higher-level Comic-Cons, like, yes, there are panels, there are special events, I've done comedy shows at Comic-Cons, um, and maybe at the bigger ones, you can actually fill your day with those things. But it's sort of like going to Disney World expecting to see a bunch of live shows, right? And it's like, well, actually, you kind of have to walk around, and you should sort of like rides, right? Because rides mm-hmm. are a big part of what you're going to do there. And you should also like people in costumes, because that's a big part of what you're going to do there. But anyway, the point is that when you're in a place in real life, um, you are there and you, you aren't leaving, right? Which means that time is passing and your own personal circumstances are changing. Your own tolerances are changing. And in particular, I think it's important to talk about us. You know, we as people, we're not just ideologies and we're not just thoughts and aspirations. Like, we are biological creatures and we have needs and we form groups, right? And so when you're in a place over a period of time, you are confronted with your needs, right? And it's like, oh, I have to go get something to eat, right? So what is something that happens in a real life conference that doesn't happen in an online community. You get lunch together, right? You go and you eat food with somebody, right? I need to get something to eat. I need to go to sleep. Or maybe I don't go to sleep. Maybe I stay up all night, right? And I do that with somebody else who also does or doesn't do that stuff, right? I can't maintain the same level of focus on thinking and talking about the culture that I like the whole time that I'm there. You know, we're going to go through all this stuff. And a big one, I mean, I think you're we're talking a lot about it from sort of like the scared perspective and the cautious perspective and the idea that there's a lot of crime that's happening and that's all well and good but humans also have a need to touch and be touched and experience intimacy and a lot of people go to conventions looking for that sort of thing right and so it's like okay you're in this convention you're surrounded by all these people and you're you're wanting to connect with people you have these these hungers or these thirsts right for these various sorts of experiences yes you have your your hobby and you like your hobby and you like your thoughts and you like sharing your thoughts and delving into things you also kind of like extracting yourself from your entrenched social circle at home and perhaps adjudicating your value in a new social circle to try to test if whether, you know, your own ideas of your self-worth, which you might feel are different from the ones that your friends share, uh, maybe they ought to be proved out in sort of other areas. Maybe you need to, you need to respect yourself more. But the main thing is that, like, in an on- I feel like in online communities, people show up hangry, like, 90% of the time. Right. It's like I go to an online community and I get really invested in a talk about something when there's something that I need and I'm not dealing with, whether it's that I'm hungry or I'm sleepy or I'm angry or I'm sad. Right. And it's like and it's and there's always a whole 
bunch of people who are redlining on some sort of personal need on a lot of these online communities. And because of that, you can have really intense conversations about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because <laughs> adrenaline's pumping and you're exhausted and nothing else matters and you're disregarding anything else about yourself. But I feel like these little moments that you share with people when you eat, when you sleep, you know, when you touch, right? Like when, when and, and even if it's just something is giving somebody a hug, like these are meaningful things and they're meaningful for us as people. And I think that to a, to a degree, there's a way that these cons function. And I think in this case, the cons are very similar to the adventure races, the mud runs. I already talked about the comedy festivals. Music festivals are very similar. I'm sure the gathering of the juggalos shares a lot of the same aspects of the stuff that we're talking about, right? Where it's like, you're also kind of going there to experience the, the, the rhythms of being a person, you know, amongst other people. And that, that's just not something that you can replace, right? Like in that case, the interest is serving as a context for something else that you're doing right and 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 you can't by taking that same context and merely experiencing it kind of shelved off and dumped on your desktop computer or your laptop your ipad or your surface tablet or whatever right like you're not going to have the same experience i think um, it was also i think it was great when uh carrie russell shook up a bottle of fago soda and just sprayed it all <laughs> over everybody <laughs> at new york comic con that was now, the- I mean, to, to be care to be fair the reason that i was really excited about carrie russell is of course she's in the bon jovi video always which is one of my favorite music videos of all time. Uh, and, and it was something that I just, I sing that song karaoke. I love that song. I don't think that she wants to hear me talk about always, but there's just an occasion to that. So I wanted to raise that, not just because she's personally attractive, uh, though I have no doubt she is, of course. Uh, she also was Felicity, you know, so she has some accomplishments under her belt as well. And uh, she's on a, one, a bunch of movies that are really good. But anyway, that's, that was just what I wanted to contribute. It was like, yes, you know, you, there, is, it shouldn't be ambiguous to think that there are big differences between being with people in person and being with them in an online community, but I don't think that they're just about the vet, like what happens with regards to adjudicating the thing that you're talking about, right? Like they're they're also kind of like it's not just about the comics, you know. It's uh, I mean as Matt was saying, a lot of people go to you know what's a great movie that's about this is uh, the movie Cedar Rapids with Ed Helms. Um, have you guys ever seen this movie? No. It's a it's a it's a relatively low low profile comedy about a guy who goes to an insurance convention um, and like like sort of um hangs out i think john c Riley is the sort of like party guy at the insurance convention or sales convention or whatever uh and they're in a big hotel and it's about like their relationships with their families back home and how they feel and act when they're at the convention and people jumping in the pool as middle-aged people and what does it mean right i I recommend that movie i think it's been it's a pretty cool funny fun and also kind of sad look at like the sort of roving these sort of it is it is a movable feast after all right but it's a movable feast that's like microwavable right it's like a, a movable stofers that you take to a new place but i don't know um i saw a juggalo you saw you saw a juggalo ad now was it a real juggalo or was it someone cosplaying as a juggalo I, that i cannot answer aren't all juggalos cosplaying as juggalos i mean if you you know if you ascribe to like you know, theories of performativity. We're all yeah, like in this drag, <laughs> you know, juggalo drag. Are we right. all in drag as non-juggalos, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's as good a place as any to uh, end it on. So, Will, uh, if you want to uh, join the conversation, you can email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com. You can leave a co- uh, comment on the show notes for this episode, and I hope you will. I hope uh, linguists and historians of Comic-Con will get very involved in the uh, in the uh, whole thing in the, com- the comment section on this episode 
and will uh, nerd explain all of the nuances of everything that we talked about to us um, because I would find that very interesting myself. Um, if you are interested in getting more Overthinking It, you can like us on Facebook. We're Overthinking It. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Overthinking It. And uh, you can subscribe to the Overthinking It email newsletter and get exclusive Overthinking It delivered to your inbox. Uh, that's on the homepage of OverthinkingIt.com. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Until then, you can visit us, guess where, at Overthinking It. What's that, you ask? Why, it's the place where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. You're the man now, dog. I was going to ask you whether you went on a speed date with Groot. No, I wish. I mean, then we could have said we are Groot. Never say we are Groot on the first date. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I move fast, guys. I'm the Groot now, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are Groot. <laughs>